Here's an interesting question that many people may never have considered. Did Yochevet put Moshe Rabbeinu in his basket inside the river Nile or to the side of the river? What we're going to look at is why it is that Moshe Rabbeinu had to go anywhere near that river, the symbol of Avoida Zorah, and how it is that that is what absolved the decree and nobody else was harmed thereafter, not only physically, but much more importantly, and this is the lesson for us, spiritually, because of what that Nile represents, what it represented then historically, what it represents for us in modern times. So if in Pasuk Vatosim Basufal Sfasayor, commenting on the Pasuk that says that, or translating in fact, the Pasuk that says that Yochevet put the basket with Moshe Rabbeinu on the edge of the river, Zakdet Targum, so Targum Unkula says, Al Keif Nara, that it was actually on the bank of the river. So that indicates that this basket that Yechevet put is, wasn't placed neat in the river, not actually in the water, nor but rather on the bank, the dry land bank on the side of the river. And by the way, that would be similar to Paroi's dream, where he dreams about the cows that come out onto Svasayor, onto the banks of the river. So from that perspective, it sounds like clearly the basket did not go into the river. Now, why do we know uh, clearly in our minds that the basket went into the river? When you read the rest of the story, it implies that it did go into the water. The story indicates that actually the basket was inside the reeds, which were in the water, also to the edge of the river, but still inside the water. As the Pasuk says very clearly, why did Batya call him Moshe? Because she drew him out of the water. That implies that he was in the water. And of course, it goes without saying that the design of the basket was designed to be waterproof, which indicates that it went into the water. So, was Moshe's basket in the water or not? The Rokachava gives a fascinating explanation. As we know, the Egyptians worshipped the Nile. was halachically bound by a restriction that she could not save her son by putting him into the water because you cannot have, cannot have personal benefit from The halach is clear. You are not allowed to use Avodah even to save a life. That's why initially, where did you put the basket? To the side of the river. But here's the fascinating part. After Batya, the daughter of Paro, came to immerse in the river, which the Gemara clearly says was an act of conversion, it was an act of cleansing herself from Avodah Zarah. She was leaving Avodah Zarah behind her, so she did something very powerful as the royal princess. She neutralized the Avoidazora element of the river, and therefore, somehow or other, somehow or other, because of that, afterwards, the, the basket actually got into the river. Now it could go into the river. It was okay because it was no longer Avoidazora. So that's one side of the story. The other side of the story, which we know very well, is the Medrash. The Medrash tells us, Why did they put, of all the places to hide and to save Moshe, why was it into the river? So that the astrologers who predicted that there was this child that was going to save the Jews from Egypt, and they understood that he'd be harmed by water. So the minute they put Moshe into the river, the astrologers would see, ah, oh, Moshe, the, the savior of the Jewish people is in the water. 
And as a result of that, why was there in the first place? Why was there an issue with uh, why was it the strategy to throw them into the water, the boys into the water? Because the astrologers predicted that the Achilles heel of the savior of the Jewish people would be water. So in their minds, they meant they understood that that meant that he'd be killed through water. And that's exactly the reason why Yecheved put him into the water, to mislead the astrologers who now saw in their hazy visions that the Savior of the Jews is in the water. And therefore, therefore they wouldn't look for him any further, and that caused them to neutralize the decree to throw the other boys in. That was the end of the decree to throw boys into the river because there was no longer a need to do so. So, as we well know, every single detail in the Torah is absolutely precise. Now, the fact that putting Moshe near and then into the river neutralized two things. Firstly, it neutralized the fact that the Nile was now an Avoidazor, and it neutralized and ended the decree against uh, throwing the boys into the water. They must be linked. And both of them very clearly are linked not just to each other, but to the character that's common to both stories. Moshe Rabbeinu, the savior of the Jewish people, he is the reason that the Nile becomes Ois Avoidazor, and he is the reason that they cancel the decree to kill the Jews by drowning the boys in the river. So what's the link? In order to understand that, we have to look beyond the, the uh, surface version of the story and understand the spiritual version of the story. To understand this, we have to go into the spiritual implication of this decree to throw the boys into the river. Not only does the Torah tell us generally what Paro's intentions were in Ben Huva Miten Oisa to kill the boys, but the Torah specifies not only that there was a decree to kill the boys, but what the method was that they were going to use, to throw them into the river, is Muba. And that indicates, as Dos is, that that detail of them being thrown into the river is obviously key to the whole story. So it's not Stama It's not just an interesting detail about the story of how the decree of Paroi worked. It's not even a detail to explain why they chose this method because they had this this fuzzy vision in the stars that the leader of the Jews, the savior of the Jews, would be implicated. By water. So all of these would just raise the question, why do I have to know this information and why do I have to know it at this particular point in time? So the fact that the Torah tells me that the method of killing the boys was to throw them into the river, rather this is a fundamental element of the entire experience of what it is to be in Golos in Mitzrayim. In fact, throwing boys into the river represents the entire experience of what it means to be in Golos in Mitzrayim. How so? So the explanation is this. 
The Tachisum Chupim from Xeris Parim is Bashtanin in Hayyoira Tashlichu. The goal of Paro's decree was specifically that the boy should land up where? In the river, which means in Nilos, the Nile River, the Avodazara for Mitzrayim. He wanted to throw the boys into the experience of Egyptian Avodazara. Which means that Paroi's intention was that the Jewish nation should be completely immersed and drowned in the experience of what was their prevalent faith system. So he wanted the Jews to assimilate into the Egyptian belief system. Why was their belief system to worship the Nile? We know very simply why they worship the Nile. We given their father was for this reason. Because the Nile River was the source of their sustenance, at least according to the rules of nature. As we well know, we know that Egypt is a, a very dry, arid environment. There's not much rain. So how do they... How do they have agriculture? How do they keep their fields going? Because of the floodplain. So the Nile River, obviously the rain falls elsewhere, in the Atlas Mountains, wherever it is, and that causes the floods, the flooding of the Nile River, and that's, in the Egyptian experience, that's where your sustenance comes from. It comes from the rivers, or the river, the Nile Delta. So that could cause people to believe and to convince themselves that in their minds, the source of sustenance of the Egyptian culture, society, and land is got nothing to do with God. Because if you rely on rain, you look upwards. You're conscious of the fact that it comes from Hashem. You recognize that rain is in Hashem's hands. But when the Nile River floods its banks, you don't see as clearly that you're dependent on Hashem. In their mind, in their perspective, this was just a matter of the nature of the world, the nature of the Nile Delta, <coughs> and that's who you have to worship because that's the source of your sustenance. Which is why that became their Avodazara. So that's what Paro's decree was really all about. Throw the boys into the river means that he wanted, Paro wanted to achieve a reality where the nature of the Jewish people would be completely immersed in the natural world. Forget about Hashem. They are natural processes. That's what you have to invest in. That's what you have to care about. So, how is it possible that this attitude and this belief system should be able to actually influence and control the Jewish people? It's because the, the Jewish people are not in their home turf. They had spiritually and physically descended to Mitzrayim, and therefore they were susceptible. As long as Jews lived in Israel, which is a land where Hashem's eyes are constantly on the land, which means you can actually see in your day-to-day experience, you can see how Hashem controls everything. Which you could actually see expressed clearly by the fact that it's a rain irrigated country. The Gemara says that the Abishta personally oversees the rain for Eretzisol. So, if generally speaking, living reliant on rain makes you conscious of Hashem, so when you're in a land that 
not only relies on rain, but you feel Hashem's hand, so to speak, making the rain happen, you're definitely conscious of Hashem. So when you're in Israel, it's not talking about Faratos and Yodi, you don't make the mistake of thinking my success is by the by the work of my own hand. You don't believe that just simply because you sowed, you plowed, that's why you have success. Because you live in that reality and you see very openly that Hashem is the one who gives you success. So as long as you're in Eretz Yisrael, you're not susceptible to the Havoidazora mentality of Mitzrayim, which says that the natural economic processes are where I get my success and sustenance from. But not only that, even once you get to Mitzrayim, Nochmer calls man Yaakov uvon of Hobin Gelebt, as long as Yaakov and his children were still alive in Mitzrayim, that still kept the Jews immune from Paroi's uh, infecting their minds. Because these are people who had lived in Israel and they had seen clearly with their own eyes that sustenance is completely in Hashem's hands. So now you've entered a reality, a different space, a different world, a different country. And in this country, it appears as if things are completely defined by the natural reality. That didn't make them forget to conceal from them the fact that previously they had seen with their own eyes that Hashem runs the world. So, okay, now you have other people around you who feel differently. Okay, but I know what I know because I've seen it with my own eyes. So the fact that they had seen it had an impact on them. That even in Mitzrayim, they'd be absolutely conscious. I'll call upon him in an open for Navon of Asaga. If they didn't see it with their own eyes, like in Eretz Yisrael, at least they knew it clearly in their own minds. That the nature is run absolutely from start to finish in every single detail by God. It's quite similar. Their experience of having been in Israel would have colored their perspective in a similar way to a person who's experienced a miracle. L'shoin harama. Nes comes from the word to be elevated. As nes in teva. When a person experiences or is exposed to a miracle, it lifts your entire perception and experience of nature. It helps you to remind yourself and to recognize that Hashem runs nature. But once Yosef and his generation died out, now you no longer have people in your community who lived that life of consciousness and awareness, who lived in Eretz Yisrael where it was glaring that Hashem runs the world. Which means that now this next generation had really descended into the reality of Mitzrayim and into the consciousness of the natural order. They were, in fact, vulnerable to Paroi's overtures, to Paroi's decree that you have to now accept the reality of the river. That is reality. So, Paroi's goal is get the Jews to think like Egyptians, to believe absolutely in the course of nature and forget about a God who controls nature. And they were susceptible to it. They need somebody to schlep them out. The Indian for Moshe is Moshe and Yisrael. Moshe's job is to save the Jews, not just to save them physically, to take them from point, o, point A to point B, let my people go. Moshe's job is far more profound than that. 
Valer is Derayim Mehemna. He is the faithful shepherd or the shepherd of faith. Vos is Mamshech Emuna in Eden, who brings down conscious Emuna faith into the Jewish people in a very meaningful way. The kind of faith that impacts how you actually behave. Moshe's power is to empower the Jews to be in a space where you don't see godliness. You don't even have a mature understanding of godliness. Moshe's impact on the Jews is that their emunah, which is embedded deep in their DNA, shines. It's clear. It becomes part of their reality. Which gave them the power to fend off Paroi's decree. On Agam, I you'll say who needs Moshe Rabbeinu? The Jews already had Emunah from beforehand. Agam as a kechol Emunah is by Zengaven Eichfrir. Faith in Hashem is something that was endemic. Valin zani b'tevem ma'minim b'nei ma'minim because as we well know, Jews are believers. The children of believers, it is in our blood. Is of a stam Emunah and an Eifem Makif nit genug Eifdem. That kind of Emunah is the abstract Emunah, the abstract faith that kicks in in case of an emergency. But to be able to stand up to the overriding thinking of the entire world that you live in needs a little bit more of a deep emunah. In order that the emunah should not just be this kind of background, yes, I believe in God, but should impact the real day-to-day life experience of a person. For that you need, as the Pasuk says, you actually need to cultivate emunah. Take that abstract emunah and make it incredibly personal and relevant to the individual on a daily basis. That is something Moshe achieves, and that is why he's called the so-called shepherd of faith. Because that's Moshe's job, that will also explain why it is that when Moshe, before he takes his job, is a shepherd, not just a shepherd, but the Torah tells us specifically who he worked for and where he worked. That's why the Pasuk tells us specifically, that who did he work for as a shepherd, for his father-in-law Yisro, when he was a Koyen in Midian. You could ask yourself the question, we could understand easily why it is that the Torah wants us to know that Moshe is a shepherd. Because that was to prepare, to train Moshe to be the shepherd of the Jewish nation, and also to prove that Moshe was in fact suitable to be the, the shepherd who would go running after every lost sheep. So that we need to know. We need to know that he's a shepherd. But why do we have to know that he is specifically the shepherd of Yisro's flock, and specifically at the stage of life where Yisro is still a Koyan in Midian? Now, the Inupnimi in them, but that's actually got a very deep message associated with it, because in Tsein Yisro is given a because embedded in the flocks of Yisro were Nitzoyte, sparks, energy of Kedusha. And as the Medrash says, Moshe's job working with the sheep of Yisrael was to bring that Kedusha back into the fold, to connect it, to draw it close to Kedusha. And that's why we have to know whose sheep are these. These are the sheep of Yisrael while he's serving as a priest in Midian. Meaning to say that even such elements of Kedusha, such epicenters of Kedusha that are under the sway of a person who is a Kumar Avoid a pagan priest, 
the extent that we know there wasn't a single Avodah Zorah that Yisrael had not served. Moshe's power is so great that it can even impact that part of the world, that trapped, dark, clipper-based reality, and it can bring it close to Kedusha. That is the training ground for Moshe Rabbeinu to be able to become not only the leader and the shepherd and the faith implanter of Jewish people, but specifically when they're in Mitzrayim. That means that Moshe will have the capacity when he's dealing with Jews who are in an environment where they don't see godliness and they don't even properly understand and appreciate godliness. All you can see and experience is the nature of nature itself. Moshe's impact on the Jews is so profound that even in an environment that is completely void of holiness, they could have a meaningful, personal, deep experience of faith that would impact their daily life. And now with that information, we can understand why the two elements of how the Nile changed, both in terms of its status and in terms of the degree associated with it, Dafka because of Moshe. This is the connection between the two things we mentioned right at the beginning. The fact that, that the Nile lost its overbearing reality. And the end of the decree to throw boys into the river. Because if you think about it, understanding things from a spiritual perspective, it's actually two sides of the same coin. It's the identical theme. The only reason that there would be a decree to throw boys into the river is because the river is the Avoid of Mitzrayim. And that's what Pari wants. He wants them to assimilate into Mitzrayim thinking and beliefs. But the moment Moshe is born, he immediately already has this potential impact of being the shepherd of the Jewish people. And Moshe comes into the reality and the world of the Jews while they are in Mitzrayim. Not only does Moshe get into their reality, but he gets into the, the particular motif, the particular indicator of everything that this reality and this Golos is all about, the river itself. The minute Moshe is in that space, that is already an empowerment that every other Jewish person can now stand up to what that space represents. So Moshe goes into the Nile, it weakens the hold that the Nile has over the Jewish people. So they are now no longer completely under the sway of the Nile and what it represents, so the decree immediately ends. Now, that's historical, and we know that Yetzirah Mitzrayim is supposed to be something that applies in our lives on a daily basis. Yetzirah Mitzrayim applies every single day, particularly as al explains in Tanya. So therefore, all the things that we have spoken about now, the status of being in Israel, of being in Egypt with a Yaakov and Yosef and family around, and then being in Egypt on your own, Firstly, there's the state of absolute clarity about godliness which happens when you're in Israel and you haven't yet tasted Mitzrayim. Then, and then the various stages of being in the Golos of Mitzrayim and then the Gula that follows. All of those stages apply to us in our daily experience and our daily service of Hashem. You're supposed to begin every single day by being in shul. 
And then we base Knesses, the base Medish. From Shul, you're supposed to go to the base Medish. In other words, as soon as you finish davening, you're supposed to learn Torah. And from there you go, as the Gemara says, you go about your ordinary life, earning a living and doing errands and whatever else it is that you have to do. But it's in that order. The first step is this, the avoid the, the, the real work of trying to daven in a meaningful way. Which is followed by Torah learning. And after that, you are then in a position that you can go out and do what you have to do to earn a living. So what are these stages? What do they represent? The purpose of davening is to bring an awareness of godliness into your mind, into your consciousness. That is so powerful and profound. It's as if you see Hashem in front of you. It's that real to you. First, you have to prepare yourself before you daven. Then there's various meditations that you have during key elements of the davening. Then come into Krishna. Then you say The word Shema is in a, an acrostic for raise up your eyes and look heavenward in order to see that which is beyond you, which is to be able to see godliness, which is like living in Israel. When you see godliness, it's absolutely real. That's the goal of Shema. Then you go to the Shemun Esrei, the Amida, where you're supposed to stand in such proximity to Hashem that you're like a servant in front of his master. Bittul Gomer with absolute self-surrender. To the extent that when you start the, the Shemun Esrei, and as an intro to the Shemun Esrei, you say, Hashem, Hashem, you open my lips. In other words, I don't have any power. Power lies with you. My mouth is just simply going to almost repeat or copy to say the words of your praises. So davening takes you to this spiritual pinnacle of complete awareness of and, and closeness to Hashem. After davening, you step down from this incredible awareness of godliness and this complete submission to Hashem. And that stepping down has two major components to it. Number one is still in a holy environment. You go from davening, which is complete surrender to Hashem, into learning Torah, which is using your own abilities. Torah learning is where divine infinite wisdom is captured in the finite experience of the human mind. Relative to what you can understand. So you kind of diminish the Torah's greatness into your reality. That doesn't mean the Torah is no less, is less than, than it was before you started. It means your experience of the Torah is somewhat limited. So when you think about it, now engaging your own mind and understanding Torah with your own faculties is a step down from the tremendous and absolute surrender to God which you have when you're daven. But you can still feel the afterglow of davening. Because you've davened properly, because you've reached that point of complete awareness of Hashem and submission to Hashem, that's why when you learn Torah, you learn Torah correctly, appropriately. That is similar to being in Mitzrayim, and you're outside of the precinct of absolute holiness, but you're still influenced by all the good influence, Yaakov and his sons and the family, etc. That's the first step down from davening. Then you've got to step even further down. 
When a Jew then steps out into the business world, you're in that world and you're watching the markets and you have to check your sales and make sure your marketing is right and manage your staff. So you could forget about the fact that Davisha runs the world and you could think that these are processes which we have to follow. And if we don't do it correctly, the business will fail. To be able to keep your mind focused so that in that space you remember that Hashem is the one who gives you the success and the power to do well. Which influences you obviously to run your business in accordance with the requirements of Shulchan Aruch and as Hashem would want you to. The only way that you could do that is when you, your emun in Hashem is not just abstract, but it's actually personal. It's actually real. You take it with you in your briefcase. You take it with you to the office. It's faith in Hashem in a very meaningful way. Like Moshe empowered the Jews to have faith in spite of being in Mitzrayim. So he has a really clear take-home lesson for us. Allah, first of all, the first thing we have to know is when you leave davening, which means you leave to leave the space of absolute consciousness of Hashem and complete submission to Hashem, you have to know you have to know that the next step you take is a spiritual step down, even if it's to go learn. Even though you're going to say, but I'm, I'm justified according to the Shulchan Aruch, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like the Shulchan Aruch says, you have a requirement to go through the normal things of life in order to support yourself. But the attitude that you take into the business space should be like the attitude that Yaakov Avinu took going down to Mitzrayim. I know I have to be there, but it's against my will. It's what the Ebishter wants. And I'm only doing because it's what the Ebishter wants, not where I live. It's not what I care about. It's not where I want to be. On the one hand. On the other hand, don't be afraid of the fact that you're stepping down into this so-called spiritually dark world. Okay, we acknowledge that it's a very serious step down from the spiritual height of davening. Because you'll be in an environment where you don't see godliness. And while you're in the thick of business, you probably don't even understand godliness. As long as a person awakens within themselves, their inner Moshe, that will bring your faith in Hashem to the surface, to be meaningful, to be personal. And that will take you out of your personal space of Golos. Until you see that Ebesheh is running the world absolutely from start to end of the year. You'll see Hashem's hand directing every detail of your day-to-day life and your experiences. And when you go out of your personal Golos of thinking that the world is controlled by nature and by big business, etc., you go from that to the Gula Klolis al de Mashiach Sidkenu to the overarching Gula with Mashiach, Shirachin Ratzen Akdesh Bukarif Mamash will take us to our holy land, Mitzah Shem, immediately now.